and welcome to Finding Games, the podcast where we talk to people who work in the tabletop games industry and find out how they got there. In this podcast, we're chatting to Juliana. This podcast was recorded back in October, so my sincere apologies to Juliana for taking so long on getting this edited. Juliana is one half of Wild Optimists, who are responsible for the wildly successful Escape Room in a Box, the werewolf experiment, and have since gone on to make many more amazing games. So let's hear what she has to say. Los Angeles in 2020 so <laughs> the the world is burning in some respects or in many respects but um on a on a micro level things are all pretty good <laughs> it's weird isn't it trying to consolidate the two things because we've had in the world of needy cat games where actually on a very sort of tiny level we're we're doing really well uh, work's coming in, which we can't complain about. That's an amazing thing. We're very lucky and privileged to have that. So doing a lot better than a lot of people, you know, we're uh, getting on with things. And then you look outside and go, oh, no, everything else is awful and terrible. Yeah. And trying to consolidate the two things at the same time, right? It's been such an interesting year because it's like, you know, on the one hand, when everything kind of started back in March, we do a lot of live events and conventions and big festivals. And so, like, we lost a lot of jobs. But then since then, we've had a ton of jobs come in because now everyone is looking for at-home entertainment yes. and everyone is playing games and being like what can I do that's fun and feels interesting within my small group of people who I'm allowed to see so it's been a really interesting time to be a game designer for sure mm, yeah it's been it's been quite interesting and challenging yeah uh, and I think what's really strange about it as well is that I don't know if you get this, but there's like a, such a delay, like you do a thing and you're really excited about it, but because it takes time for the product to be made, yes. like it takes, you've got this huge long yawning gap before you can talk about it. And by that time you're, you've already done three more games, right? So, yeah. You're like, I'm already totally focused on a different thing, but yes, this game is coming out, which is great. I was so there, you know, a year and a half ago yeah. when I was working on that. And then you suddenly have to like talk to people on a podcast or like people ask you to do live playthroughs and you're like, I don't even remember like the main, yeah. I'm going to have to read up on my own game because I can't remember it because I'm so focused on this other project. Yeah, I definitely keep, um, so we just had uh, Hello Neighbor, the Secret Neighbor party game come out, and I yeah. had to pull out the rule book to be like, wait, how many of the each object am I putting out? And I'm like, I don't remember the exact counts, and I'm the designer of the game, I should know this, but it's just like, it's all gone from my head. <laughs> Oh, I totally empathise. In fact, I think that it's proof that you definitely wrote the game if you are terrible at playing it. Because <laughs> at least that's my excuse when I'm really bad at my games. Because I think for me, especially, I find it really hard because I do so much playtesting and there's so many iterations and versions that by the end of a project, it's unless I've got the rule book directly in front of me, it's all garbled and messed <laughs> in my brain. And then someone's like, no, you can't do that. And I'm like, yes, of of course right, you yeah. can't. That's totally a thing you can't do. <laughs> yeah, we actually found that, you know, it's so interesting because for our, our puzzle games, of course, we can never play those games because we wrote the puzzle, we know the answer to the puzzle. And then for this game, it's a social deduction game. And so we started off playing it. And um, then my partner 
uh, Arielle Rubin, she literally, she tricked me. She was like, I'm just going to sit this one out. And she like assigned the roles because, so the game has neighbors who are like the bad guys and kids who are the good guys. And the neighbors were winning every single round. And she was like, I'm going to sit this one out. And she made sure that I got a kid because one of us had been the neighbor every single time and the neighbors were winning. And then when we got the kids, the kids won. And she was like, nope, we can't play anymore. We skew the game (laughs) too much because we have thought through every single iteration and possibility. And, you know, there's a lot of like arguing what sounds like logic, like you're never going to have perfect logic because it's a social deduction game. So you don't want to have like, oh, I know 100% for sure. But you want to have close to where it feels like, okay, well, there's this chain of logic, and there's this chain of logic. And because we had kind of thought through all of those different iterations, we could kind of sway the group into whatever team we were with. And so from then on, she was like, no, we can't play test, we have to see, you know, we can be the leaders and we can watch people play. But we cannot be, if we're playing, it's not a valuable play test of like how the game actually goes. <laughs> That's so funny. But it does happen, though. I think, uh, you know, I find this even with some of my standard play test groups who will play a game over and over and over again. And that actually comes to a point where you're too familiar with it and mm-hmm. you know all the quirks and you want to test just how the game plays normally but they're they're like power gaming everything so it's like actually i need a new group to to try this thing out and actually you need as many groups as you can really yeah we do it both ways we got excellent advice this is like so so tommy moranges who's one of the creators of like secret hitler and cards against humanity and uh, all of those games we were lucky enough to get to talk to him about designing social deduction game. And he gave us advice that he got from Mike Selinkirk, who's like an amazing puzzle game designer. And the advice was essentially to lock your friends up and away (laughs) and make them play the game over and over and over again for a weekend. And so we did that where it was like, you get this group that is so hyper-focused and they've just been doing it constantly and you see the edges of the game in a way that you Mm. might not otherwise. So it was like fantastic to get that like crazy familiar uber into it group. But then we also all the time always do like, well, we need groups that have never played it before. And let's see, we're not going to say a word, like we'll give them the rule book. And then we'll see how they struggle through and they might do things wrong. But let's see, like, does that ruin the game if they mess it up? And, and then we'll know that because we we always like, you know, we both have kids. We're like, hey, parents at the preschool, do you want to play some games? <laughs> like, you are just random cross-section of people and not like our crazy intense gamer friends. So let's see, see how it plays with everyone. That's a brilliant idea. I mean, we, we try and get as big a cross-section as we can, but it's always about trying to find people who have the time and the capacity to do it as well, which is always mm-hmm. a challenge. Yeah. Although there are so many great playtesting communities out there now, like there's Protospiel and all sorts sorts of things all over the world now so there's lots of opportunity out there for playtesting and I found with COVID too it's even it's easier than it's ever been because everyone is dying for something to do and so finding playtesters now and now that you know all of our playtesting for the most part the vast majority of our playtesting is virtual now and so we can have playtesters from all over the country doing you know playing at whatever hours everyone's available so that's really like opened up the amount of playtesters for us 
Yeah, yeah, we've kind of brute force taught ourselves tabletop simulator so that we can do as many virtual playtests as possible because we used to just use prototypes. Yes. And that has, as you said, it has massively opened up the opportunity and I don't think we'll ever go back to just using paper prototypes ever again, to be honest. Yeah, it's been been really fun. But then we always like, so we've done a lot of our games have just been virtually playtested in terms of us watching, but we've definitely come to a place where we also are like, no, we need to find like some people, like there's got to be a family out there where there are, (laughs) you know, six to eight people who are all together um, where, you know, we'll zoom in, but we want to see what changes and how is it different when they're all in the same room? Because at the end of the day, you know, while I think virtual gaming will definitely continue and very much be a thing, we we are optimistic <laughs> that, that people will be able to get back together in groups and that will be how, you know, the majority of our games are played. Yeah, yeah. Well, it might take some time, but I think you're right. I think eventually we'll still get back to a, a more face-to-face style gaming for the majority of people. Yes. But I've completely gone off on a tangent already. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really fascinating chat about what you're doing right now. So let's go back to when you first discovered tabletop gaming. What was that experience for you? Sure. I was always into games. Like from the time I was a very little girl, like I have an older brother. He's three years older. And the two of us would just stay and play games forever and often we could get my dad involved and my mom was always like but I want to go to bed like I want to sleep <laughs> um so she would often she was one of those who would quit halfway through and we would all be like no <laughs> it messes up the game but yeah so I come from a, a gaming family so I have played games my entire life it wasn't like there was this one moment where I found games it was what I grew up on and I just always absolutely loved it. I empathise with that because I did very much the same thing. I I don't ever remember a time when we weren't playing some sort of board game, even if it was like the traditional ones, you know, Mm -hmm. Monopoly. Yeah, we definitely started with all of those. Yeah, exactly. So there's... when you've had that your whole life, it's hard to sort of put your finger on what started it off. Did you carry on being really obsessed with games all the way through then? Yes, I did. And I was always the like crazy person who was like, hey, you guys want to just like play a board game? Like I was always <laughs> trying to, to get people in however, however I could. So it was it was really my whole life. And it never occurred to me honestly, like growing up and thinking about what I wanted to do and all of that, like it never occurred to me that this was a profession that I could do that, like, of course, there must be people out there who are making these games. And so that that would be a thing. It was just like, oh, this is something that I absolutely love so much and enjoy doing. Yeah. So what did you do from then on? Did you decide to go and work in tabletop games or did you go and have I, I put in like air quotes that you can't see uh real a real job like beforehand, <laughs> you know like obviously what we do is a real job it's hard work but like yeah. you know as you said it's so easy like to not realize that this is a thing that people do right yeah absolutely um so I got a degree in theater and I came out to Los Angeles to be an actor Um, so I was acting and I was writing. I spent a a bit of time as a writer. I was working in like commercial casting and doing whatever acting jobs I could get and whatever writing jobs I could get. So it was kind of a typical 
LA story of like catch a sketch can and do what you will. So I, I think it's still uh, in air quotes is not a real job. <laughs> it was never <laughs> a like corporate climb the ladder sort of job. Um, but it was very much, you know, like what makes a good story and what makes a good experience and what draws an audience in and all of these things that I think are incredibly relevant. Um, I was lucky enough to go to the Immersive Design Summit a year and a half ago in San Francisco. And that was, you know, escape room creators and immersive theater creators and theme park creators and uh, like virtual augmented reality creators. And at one point, one of the keynote speakers where the whole audience was there said, raise your hand if you had a theater degree. And like 80 to 90% of the audience raised their hands. <laughs> and it's oh. like, everyone, you know, everyone laughs at like, oh, your theater degree, what are you doing with that? And like, especially coming out to Los Angeles, nobody cares if you've actually studied theater and have training. <laughs> like, they, It's so much more like, what do you have the right look and all of that. Um, but I think it was incredibly valuable in in having that background of what is it to craft a compelling story and draw an audience in and give them those feelings of drama and different emotions and excitement and all of that. I think it was incredibly informative for a lot of people who are doing super cool things right now. Yeah, yeah. I was actually chatting to a person the other day on on the podcast uh, called Nathan Blades, who has really interesting insights into doing RPGs on Twitch and seeing it as a performance and like that it is a performing art and it's almost adjacent to like traditional tabletop gaming as opposed to it just being well I just play games and I happen to Twitch it yeah and I was like that's incredibly insightful because I never ever thought of it in that context which clearly it is clearly it's a performative skill yeah absolutely just didn't occur to me at all and so since then I've been thinking more and more about those sorts of things about how other parts of the arts inform what we do because Mm -hmm. you're basically creating like an experience in someone's own home when they're playing a game. Yeah. It's really fascinating stuff. I, I go <laughs> off on it for like hours and hours. And I think that's why, you know, everyone says we're having such a tabletop renaissance and now especially with COVID, it's super exploding. And it's because people are looking to kind of have an excuse to connect with people and have those experiences because of the way that our lives are shaped in modern day. And they're just saying, you know, how can I kind of step outside? And it's still on the rails, like it's still guided, I still have a purpose and a thing that I'm trying to do and play this game. But at the same time, it's giving me, you know, these feelings of triumph and loss and intrigue and mystery and everything that you find in tabletop games, all while connecting with the people that you're playing with. Yeah, I agree with you entirely. It's a it's a very emotive an engaging pastime mm-hmm. more so than doing something passively like watching tv and i think tv in that has a place in our downtime library but i think more and more people are wanting to have a, a, a wider breadth of experiences that they can choose from and that's where i think tabletop gaming fulfills so many different experiences yes absolutely so take me back to where you were realizing that you were kind of in la doing bits and bobs, how did that translate into then moving into writing games? 
So that was such a happy accident, as I'm sure many of the stories <laughs> that you've heard are. Um, that so to back up, um, Ariel, who is my business partner. We have a mutual friend, Jason, who was like, you are the two most competitive people I know, and you're both pregnant, so clearly I should introduce you at a game of werewolf, which is this, like, hyper-competitive, you know, everyone's lying to everyone else. (laughs) Uh, What an amazing experience to have when you're pregnant, like a super (laughs) stressful game. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I think he wanted to see this giant battle royale, um, but instead, (laughs) instead we became friends, um, and escape rooms were just becoming a thing. And I was having regular game nights where it was like once a week, I'd have a group over to play games and we just really wanted to do an escape room at a game night. And it didn't exist. And we were like, this is such a good idea. Like, why isn't there an escape room that you can play at home? And we started just like texting each other back and forth a million times of like, and what if there was this? And what if this happened? Like, wouldn't this be cool? And it was just like a this, it was too good of an idea to just not do anything. Um, and we were both, you know, new moms at the time. So our brains were kind of addled and all over the place. Um, and so uh, we had this idea of like, this is really cool. Like, we should make this. Um, and even if it's just a thing for our friends to play, like, it'll be cool to have this thing exist in the world. Um, and then we are both, you know, she's a writer as well, but we both have a very, like, detail-oriented, like, competitive sort of (laughs) spirit of like, if we're going to do a thing, we're going to do it, you know, 110%. And so, you know, did all of the the research of like, because we thought, okay, we'll do a Kickstarter because we had absolutely no connections to the gaming industry and had no idea how to even begin to say to a company like, hey, you should make this game. Um, (laughs) So we were like, Kickstarter, great, we can do that. And we looked on Alibaba and saw like, okay, we can get things like locks and boxes and the things we wanted for our escape room game. You know, you had to order them for a minimum order quantity of 500. And so we said, okay, well, if we're going to get 500 of all of these different things off Alibaba, um, you know, what do we need to make 500 games and we'll we'll give our friends pizza and beer and we'll just like assembly line it in the garage and and it'll be great um and so we came up with this whole plan and you know designed the game and we designed escape room in a box the werewolf experiment truly from a place of being escape room enthusiasts of just saying what are the what are the things that we love about escape rooms like those moments of surprise and a jump scare and like those aha moments and all of these things like what are our favorite things like the satisfaction of unlocking a lock um and like unexpected reveals and we really came at it from this place of like we love escape rooms rather than a place of what would be, you know, sensible and easy to manufacture because we weren't thinking like that. Um, and so we came up with this game and, you know, we play tested it so much. And that is the beauty of having two of us designing in that we can each be doing a play test, you know, at a time. Um, so did a ton of play testing, got it to a place where we were happy with it. 
and then sent it off to reviewers because we knew we're launching a Kickstarter. We don't have a giant following. We've never made a game before. Like we need people who do have that following and who do have that credit in the industry to essentially like validate the game. Like the reviews were so, so crucial. Um, so we sent it off and some of them were like, this does not sound like a, a good idea, an escape room at home. <laughs> um, but I really, you know, at that time it was still so early. Some of them were like, you know, I've been really wanting to do an escape room or like I did an escape room once at Gen Con, but there's none in my area. Um, so like, yes, please do send it in. And um, we were, we were quite lucky in having, you know, people like Joel Eddy at Drive Through Review and, Lisa and David at Room Escape Artists um, review it and really and really love it and become champions of it. So when it did launch on Kickstarter, um, like I think Joel Eddy put it on Reddit board games and it was like the number two game on Reddit board games when it launched because of his support. Um, and so it just it funded in 14 hours and like exploded because it was really, I think, an idea whose time had come. It was, it was exactly what we had thought, where we were like, people who play games at home and people who play escape rooms are the same people. Like, why don't, why isn't there a product for them? Um, and they all, they all showed up because it was the first. Like, there was no other at-home escape room on the market at the time. Um, so the Kickstarter just like absolutely exploded, and we were like, oh, the the paying our friend there's not enough pizza and beer in the world to get our friends to now make thousands of games um so we had to you know change the plan and we ended up manufacturing with a we worked with a company called product greenhouse which is based in chicago but they had uh factories in china that they would work with so we ended up getting the whole thing manufactured in china um and then even as the Kickstarter was going, we had um, game companies start reaching out to us because it was such a trendy topic. You know, I think it was something that game companies had been looking at and saying, oh, this would be good. So we had a series of meetings um, with different game companies showing them the prototype that we had created and um, got several offers. And ultimately, I mean, Mattel is right here. They're, they're 20 minutes from my house, which is just kind of an amazing coincidence. Um, yeah, so they essentially in the room, they were like, yeah, this, we, we want to buy this. Um, so that was, that was incredible. One of the head game designer at Mattel, Brian Yu, was one of our Kickstarter backers. So he actually, when we came in, you know, they had us come in for the test and he was like, yeah, my wife is not happy that I'm playing this because, you know, we got the Kickstarter and she was excited to all play it together. Um, so, so yeah, so, and they're just, they're an incredible team, the games team at Mattel, and we're, we're so grateful for them. Um, so we ended up, um, licensing the game to Mattel. Um, and that really, it just, it's opened so many doors since then, because, you know, since it was the first in this genre, it, it sort of established us in this field. It's like, we are escape room design people. And from there, you know, we're able to work on a lot of other different projects and a lot of other different realms as well as continue to do tabletop just from all of the connections that we've made 
off of the initial success of that first game. It's been pretty great. <laughs> really, <laughs> really grateful for it's it. It's really good for you to be so positive about your experience because uh, I'm terrible at acknowledging things I've done well. <laughs> Someone will say that was a great thing. I'm like, no, it was terrible. Don't and and I'm I'm putting a lot of effort and time into saying thank you and just going, yeah, yeah, you're right, that was good. And so it's really amazing to see creators be proud of what they do because I think there's a lot of people out there who struggle with that. And so it's really nice to see people to look up to who are able to embrace their success. Well, thank you so much. I think it, it really, it just comes from a place of such gratitude where it's, you know, there's just so many kind of outside factors, like things that have happened where I can be like, wow, like how, how wonderful. And I'm so grateful that this has all come down in this way, you know? Yeah, definitely. And the fact that you, you just sort of originated the idea and then went off and did it without any consultation just completely in isolation from the rest of the, you know, quote unquote, industry. Yeah. And then you've, you've established yourself so strongly in it is incredible. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's really been an interesting journey, because, you know, in some ways, I think we still feel so new and like you know because of course we have game design heroes too and so getting to to reach out to them or talk with them and getting to hear about their experiences that's honestly that's been one of the most wonderful things about this industry because we both come out of hollywood and film and television which has a a much more um what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a very segmented, it's not like a cast system, but it's a very segmented, like, well, if you're the PA, you definitely can't talk to the director. And, you know, you, it's so like, oh, well, these people are high up and everyone has a lot of like, well, who are you and what have you done and what can you do for me? And coming into the games industry you see these, you know, these luminaries, like these brilliant designers, like Jamie Stegmeier, Rob DeVoe, saying like, hey, here's all of this advice of, you know, let me help you and show you and share all of this information that I've learned. And I want you to succeed. And I want to see what games you're going to make so I can play them. And it's just such a, a really welcoming industry um it's it's been it's been quite the change from hollywood and it's been absolutely lovely to experience yeah i'm very pleased to be part of the tabletop games community because it is such a positive environment obviously there's its it has its moments and of it course has, yes it's stuff that is still working through but yes <laughs> in general it is a really positive place where you will always find someone who is willing to help you and give you support and advice and feedback yeah and you don't get that everywhere and it, it is a lovely place to be so I'm, I'm so glad that you've had such a positive experience coming into it almost not from the outside because I think all of us come in from the outside sure originally right but <laughs> yes like coming into it being so 
you know, we're just going to do this thing. And oh, actually, there's this whole community around it. Must have been a lovely change. It was. It, it really was. And we're, yeah, we're so grateful to the tabletop gaming community for being so, so lovely. And we really feel like, you know, that's why we were able to succeed in the first <laughs> place because of all of their brilliant advice that we were like, excellent. You know, we will, we will follow this advice. And, you know, even things like our, you know, one of our, earliest backers was Alon Lee, who did Exploding Kittens and, you know, all of those, you know, tons of games. He's in, he's like a Kickstarter <laughs> addict. He backs all of these things. Um, but we saw his name come in and, you know, we were sending a personalized thank you note to every single backer. And we did that through the whole campaign. The campaign was yeah. madness. But like, we were sending thank you notes because we truly were. We were so grateful to all of these strangers who said, yes, I will give you my money so that you can make this idea because I think it sounds cool. Um, and, you know, he backed it so early. And so we sent him a note being like, oh my gosh, like a long way we look up to you so much. Um, thank you for backing. And, you know, we know you're in LA. Like if you want to play an early prototype, you're absolutely welcome to. Um, and he was like, yes, like come over to my house and I'll set up a game night with my friends and we'll play through and I can give you feedback. And he gave us advice and he was just so lovely. And the fact that, you know, someone who has raised, you know, however many millions of dollars he raised on Kickstarter would be so lovely and warm and welcoming. And like, yes, people I've never met who just created this game that I think sounds cool. Like, absolutely. Come over. Let's have a chat. And he's, you know, just such an incredible human being. And I feel like that I'm very lucky to be in an industry with people like that. That's an incredible story. So uh, giving all of that that you've just talked about, what would be the one piece of advice you would give to someone who wanted to come and work in the tabletop games industry? I think my biggest advice is just to do it because I I had a lot of and I'm I'm so grateful to my partner Ariel Rubin because I had a lot of like yeah, I just play games. Like, yes, I love games and I'm passionate about them, but like, I don't know what I'm doing making a game. And like, I don't know <laughs> if I have any right to do this. Like, there's professionals who do that. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, self doubt that people can often have. And so, I think the the best thing to is she just she just pushed me be like this is a really good idea and we should do it and then we did it and seeing you know in the playtesting like of course there's lots of playtests where things don't work and you're like this is a disaster and we have to fix this but you also get to see those wonderful moments of you know people having such joy and such triumph and such fun with their friends and you're like I did that and I created that and the only way you're gonna ever know that and ever see that is to actually make the game um and and from Alan Lee one of his mantras is fail fast like yes. if you're gonna fail like make that prototype get it out there and see if it works or not and if it doesn't cool you failed fast you didn't waste that much time make the next prototype like go from there so it's really it's just like just just make it and see and do and go from there and see if it's fun that is a fantastic piece of advice and actually not an uncommon piece of advice we've had on the podcast as well. And it's lovely to see how many people from different walks of life, from different backgrounds have mostly said, 
do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter if the thing is bad because the doing the thing is the value, not the the end result almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, my other like huge piece of advice would just be do your research because there's so, so much really wonderful advice out there that I think if you follow, you'll be able to succeed a lot quicker. <laughs> that's that is true as well there is a lot out there if you're if you're willing to put the hours in to read it mm-hmm. there's basically an entire like lifetime's worth of advice for sure yes i think i think sometimes the challenge is almost knowing which bits to read and what you know what is the stuff that's the value is is sifting it but i think that's the the value in in doing that though is is the again the doing like reading lots of different kinds of advice and experiencing lots of different people's uh, opinions and viewpoints having all of that together is is really valuable it's not all going to be applicable to you and your situation too like i mean for us some of the advice was you know don't launch your kickstarter until you know that you have a mailing list that includes 100 people who will buy your game on day one and we were like, well, ours is a, you know, it has a refill kit. And actually, a lot of our playtesters did end up buying the game as a gift. But like, you know, it's not like a replayable game where, oh, our playtesters who want the, love this game and would want to buy it, we know they're going to buy it. Like we launched, you know, I, I knew my mom was going to buy a copy. But <laughs> other than that, like we did not have this mailing list of 100 people who we thought were definitely going to buy it. Um, so you, you also have to, to pick and choose because we were like, well, this is such a, a good and kind of on trend idea that if we wait, other people are bound to come out with it. Like we can't be the only ones who have thought of this. And it was true. Like during the campaign, Think Fun announced their Escape the Room game, which, you know, of course, I'm sure had been in development for a year or two years or more. Um, but you know, we we were the first ones to market because we did kind of go so quickly. Well, and the thing is, is that these these things happen, you know, the light bulb got invi- invented in like two different places within a month of one another, yeah. I think, and the TV was the same. Sometimes, like, ideas are just ready to happen, and Absolutely. they will happen. So if you're the person who has that idea... Don't wait for someone else to do it. Just do it yourself first because it's going to happen somewhere. A hundred percent. Yes, that couldn't be more true. And the great thing about the tabletop industry as well is that there are lots of escape room games now, but they're all very different in their experiences. And so even though they are similar, like you're not treading on someone else's toes by selling your game. And it's one of the things I love is that you're never really directly competing with anyone because every game has a unique experience. Absolutely. I mean, we're so happy that there's so many other escape room games because obviously we love escape room games and we can't play our own games. So yeah. we're thrilled that there's all of these other different games to choose from. We have uh, on the way right now the the newest Think Fun one where you get to actually build a dollhouse out of the game box. And we're like, this looks so cool. Like we can't, we can't wait to try and see because as you said, they're they're very different. And that's also the escape room industry has also been incredibly lovely. And the thing about the escape room industry is that, you know, if you go and you play a room and you enjoy it and that's it, you know, you've played the room there. Maybe they have a, a few other rooms at that location. Maybe they don't. 
they'll want to then refer you to another company across town so that you can still stay in the like, oh, I like escape rooms and this is an activity that I go and do. Like as an escape room company owner, you don't want the guy across the street to be bad because then anyone who goes to that escape room is going to be like, oh no, I don't like escape rooms and they're never going to come to your business. And so it's a really... Uh, very much a build each other up sort of industry where owners, you know, will often invite each other to play their rooms for free so that they can give each other feedback. They'll exchange flyers and refer customers. And it's just such a great industry of like, let's all boats rise together in this space. Yeah. And that is a term that has come up multiple times throughout this series of, you know, a rising tide raises all ships. And I think it's lovely. So uh, yes, I agree with you entirely. That was a fantastic set of advice and a really fascinating journey as well for you because, you know, you you very much just self-made your thing and put it out there and had success with it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 that did happen and I'm so, so grateful for it. And we now, you know, we've done so many things since then and it's just, it was all kicked off by that that initial one of just like, hey, this would be cool. And I mean, it definitely, it came with its trials and tribulations and and trying to manufacture the game, you know, because we had made it from this approach of just like, what would be really cool <laughs> was, you know, definitely very challenging. Um, but at the end of the day, like when we look back, we're like, no, we we wouldn't change it. We wouldn't have made it like this simple, easy to manufacture thing because we think the fact that it launched the way that it did was exactly right. Well, that's been such an interesting conversation. Thank you so much for coming and chatting to me. I really hope that I can keep up to date with all of the stuff because you, you are doing a lot of things now, right? Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, so we have launching actually on Wednesday. Um, if you happen to be in the Southern California area, there is the beautiful Santa Monica Pier is a historical site and it's a pier over the ocean. It's gorgeous. And we have created a puzzle tour to be their official historical app, uh, their official historical tour. Um, and it's an app. So you buy it in the app store. You can do it on your own time. You do it, you know, with whoever you're potting with in this COVID situation. You, you know, it's outdoors, distanced, masked, the whole thing. So um, that is called Secret Story Tours. It's in the app store. Um and then just last week, our game Hello Neighbor, Secret Neighbor, uh, the Secret Neighbor Party Game came out. And that is a social deduction game based on the hit video game series. So that should be at your friendly local game store. Um, and then still available in stores and on Amazon are our two Escape Room in a Box games, The Werewolf Experiment and Flashback. Uh, and then you can also go to vampire.pizza to <laughs> see uh, when next our delivery vamps will be delivering an immersive at-home gaming experience with pizza where you can join the vampire revolution. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm going to be checking out all of those things. I just wish I could do the puzzle tour. That sounds amazing. We're so excited about it. And we really hope that this becomes a model of, you know, a different way to experience historical sites because we love the idea of actually putting history in people's hands and having them puzzle through and have to 
earn the information and have it relate to them in an entirely different way than if you had just stood there and lectured at them about what the facts are. Oh, I'm going to do a tiny little tangent before we finish. I've got a degree in archaeology, but my uh, like one of my big projects was about making museums and historical sites more engaging and more interesting because walking in a circle, especially around an archaeological dig, which is basically a hole in the ground, sure. uh, <laughs> um, and just having some plinths or like posters up is just, it's so boring. And it what's actually happening and what is actually being discovered is fascinating and super exciting and really interesting. But just reading it off of a poster is such a, for me, I felt was such a sad way to describe and translate all of that information. Um, I so I did a whole project more. on it. So uh, that is, it's so mega exciting that you're doing that. So I can't wait to see what the outcome of that all is. That's so cool. I want to do your project and experience <laughs> the archaeological site in a different way. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much. It's been great chatting to you today. And I've had such a fantastic time talking to you. Yes, thank you. It's been so great to chat with you as well. Can I just throw in too, like if people want to contact us, because we're always happy to like talk to anyone who has any questions about anything, like where you can find us. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, please do. <laughs> Um, so you can check out our website at wildoptimist.com. Um, we are on Instagram at the wild optimist. We are on Twitter at escape room in box with no A because that was too many characters. Um, and then facebook.com slash wild optimist. So we are always happy to chat with people who have any questions about puzzle design or game design because we, we very much feel like you know, people were so helpful for us as we were figuring things out and we would love to return the favor. Well, that's very kind and I'm sure there will be people getting in touch. And that was Juliana. I want to say a massive thank you to Juliana for chatting to me. And again, I am very sorry for taking so long and getting this edited. I've really enjoyed hosting this series and I do have a load more podcasts coming up. If you really like to show us some support, you can find me on Ko-fi under Sophie Makes Terrain. Thanks for listening. See you next time.